What is this? It's a wild grapevine. You see that there? Mm-hmm. And it's attached to that branch of hemlock. Now, why would I be bringing a grapevine up here? And what would that have anything to do with the Bible? You know, the Bible actually talks a lot about grapevines. Grapevines, of course, they have grown on the earth since the creation, but but men have cultivated grapevines for thousands and thousands of years. You know, grapes are, are vines in general, not just grapes, but vines are very interesting types of plants because vines don't have a strong stem. They can grow very, very quickly, but unlike a tree or most other plants, they can't grow up. They will bend over. They'll fall over on the ground unless the vine can find something like a tree or a trellis or a wire or, or something to climb onto to be able to climb up towards the sun. Now, because of this, vines can grow very quickly. They can also grow in places that most other plants would have a real hard time growing. If you go out to where you might see an exposed rock, plants can't grow on top of a rock. They don't have any place to put down a root. But you will see the vines growing and rooted down beside that rock, and then all of the vines will grow over and cover that rock. I saw some telephone poles this morning, and the telephone, you couldn't even see the telephone pole. They were covered over with vines all the way around, rooted down in the ground, but coming up and just completely covering the poles. Now, when I think about vines, I have to tell you, I don't honestly have a really good first impression when I think of a vine. Maybe it has to do with the fact that when I was a kid, my mom had a big garden, and about every day, not every day, but several times a week during the summertime, my job was to go out in that garden and pull up all of the vines that were growing up all of the weeds that were growing up. And uh, in Washington State, we had this weed called bindweed. And it was the, the awfulest kind of vine. It had a root that went down like this deep in the ground. And you had to dig that out and pull it out. And then when I think about vines, the other thing that comes to my mind is two things that grow around here. One of them is kudzu. It's an invasive plant. It wasn't. It's not native to here. And... Uh, you're smiling, Megan. Have you had any experience pulling out kudzu? I have a goat named kudzu. Oh, you have a goat named kudzu. <laughs> well, I'm not talking bad about your goat, okay? <laughs> but uh, the, I've seen places where acres and acres of forest have been destroyed because the kudzu comes up and covers over all of the trees and kills the trees up. And there's the ever-present poison ivy. And uh, I'm hoping that I don't break out in a couple of days because yesterday I was on the mower and was mowing into some places up in, on the edge of the woods and it was getting right up into the poison ivy. And I'm actually allergic to poison ivy. Most people are. I'm not highly allergic, but if I get in it, I'll break out. And so I don't like those kinds of vines. But when we read the, about vines in the Bible, almost always it's talking about a vine very much like this vine here, a grapevine. Grapes have been grown for centuries. In fact, you read the story about Noah. He got off the ark and, you know, Noah's, that's kind of the famous story about Noah. But later on in his life, he became a vine dresser, a husbandman, it says in the old, old King James. And he would grow these grapes, these vineyards. And um, 
we know this because it kind of leads into the story about one time when he was drinking a little bit too much, that it sat around a little bit too long, and, uh, well, anyway, we won't go into that story too much further. But grape juice, which turns into wine, and in the King James Bible, it's the same word is used for both the fresh juice and the fermented juice. It's sort of a symbol of wealth, a symbol of prosperity. To have a vineyard means that you have enough and more. And so all through the Bible, vineyards have been very, very important. But that's enough about, about vineyards. I want to tell you a story. Have you ever heard the story about the eagles and the vine? The eagles and the vine. You're all looking at me like you haven't heard the story. Maybe you have before. You might recognize it. But I'm going to tell you the story. And then I'll, then I'll go back and I'll tell you kind of, kind of where it comes from. But the story goes that there was a great, tall tree. Anyone know what kind of branch this is? Mm-hmm. Ah, it's a cedar. You're right. There was a tall, tall cedar tree. And along comes an eagle. This eagle was a giant eagle. Strong, powerful eagle with beautiful feathers. And he came along and he cut off the top of that cedar tree. He just cut it off like that. And he took the top of it far, far away and planted it in a faraway land. I don't know if I can plant that or if it'll stay there. (laughs) Ah, Pretend that I planted that there. So he planted it in a faraway land. And then he came over to this faraway land. My grapevine is over here. I should have done this the other way. He came and he took something from that faraway land, plucked it up, and he came back to the land where the cedar was growing. Now the cedar has fallen down. And he just planted that there. And it became, it grew up, and it grew into a vine. And it grew out just like this vine right here. But it didn't have a tree to climb up. So it just started spreading along, along, along the ground and growing. But it was a healthy vine. And the the soil was good. And the eagle made sure to keep that vine watered. And it would water it. And the sun would come and shine on it. And it was a happy vine. Now, of course, in this story, things, things are different in stories than they are in real life, right? So sometimes trees can talk and vines can talk and think and do things. So this vine was happy and it would, it would smile at this eagle that had come and planted it. And, it was, and its roots went down, down, down into the soil. But then, you knew I was getting to a butt, didn't you? Along comes... Guess what? Another eagle. Along comes another eagle. And the vine is growing here and it's happy because it's the, the, the eagle has planted it there and taken care of it. But that vine looks up and he looks over there and he sees another eagle. And he says, Ah, more, more water, more. 
And so he asks the other eagle to come and give him water. And he sends his roots out and starts growing the roots out towards where that other eagle lives. But guess what the first eagle said? What did that first eagle, the one that planted it and watered it and took care of it while it was growing up, what did that eagle say when the vine was going off to this other one? He says, Mm-mm. I'm going to tear this vine up because it's not being faithful to me and it's going to this other eagle. Now, have you all heard the story before? I know I'd heard it before, but I had forgotten it. It's actually in the Bible. It's a story in the Bible, and it's found in Ezekiel chapter 17. Now, if you go back and if you understand a little bit of some of the politics, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting into politics now, but it's old politics. I'm not going to get into modern day politics today. It's old politics. If you understand some of the politics of what was going on in Israel at this time, the story starts to make a little bit more sense. Because you see, there was a great king named, who was the great king of Babylon? The one that came and took Daniel captive. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. There's a great king named Nebuchadnezzar and he came to Jerusalem and Jerusalem was like this big cedar. Where did I put the cedar? It's right here. It's fell down. Jerusalem was like this big, tall cedar tree, right? And Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he takes a bunch of people captive. He takes the king, and he sets up another, another king. Now, the king in Jerusalem at the time was, anybody know the name of the king? Jehoiachin. He takes Jehoiachin, and he sets up another king named Zedekiah. Now, Zedekiah was bound by contract to be loyal to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar had already been victorious, had already battled against Jerusalem, and had already taken a lot of the royal family captive and left just a few people left just to basically tend the land and watch over it. Now, Zedekiah was a lot like this vine that was growing up that the eagle, who would be Nebuchadnezzar, had planted. But do you think Zedekiah was going to be faithful to Nebuchadnezzar? Well, God wanted him to be. God sent many prophets, the prophet Jeremiah, over and over and over again, said, be faithful to Nebuchadnezzar, even though he's a heathen king, because this is, this is what I've appointed for you. But no. He says, Look, there's another king, Pharaoh of Egypt. He's a strong and powerful king. We're going to go and be loyal to Pharaoh and break our contract with Nebuchadnezzar and see if Pharaoh can get us all out of this predicament and set us free again. But, of course, we know from history, it didn't work. And even though they went to Egypt, Pharaoh didn't help them. And Nebuchadnezzar came and even further destroyed them. Now it's kind of an, kind of an interesting story and it's kind of a, kind of a strange parable and it's perhaps why we don't really talk about the story of the two eagles and the vine because it's kind of strange to think about 
two eagles. But the point of the story is this. God had appointed for that vine to be loyal to the eagle who planted it. And when he was disloyal, he was destroyed. You know, it's not the first time that God's people are pictured as a vine. In fact, if you turn to Psalm chapter 80, Psalm chapter 80 in your Bibles, and I'll begin reading in verse 8. Psalms chapter 80 in verse 8. You have brought a what? So, wait, till, wait for you to get there. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root. And it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. So here we have in the early days, this is talking about when God delivered Israel out of Egypt. This is, this is long, long, long before Nebuchadnezzar. When Israel was a slave in Egypt, God brought Israel like a vine and planted them there to be a fruitful vineyard in this land, this land of promise. The hills were covered with its shadow, the mighty cedars with its boughs. It spread up greater and taller even than the cedar trees even though it was nothing more than a vine. But unlike a cedar tree, a cedar tree doesn't have a fruit that you can eat. The vine produces what? Grapes, fruit, a lot of fruit. God's people for a long time have been compared to a vine But here, this vine in Ezekiel, this vine says, I'm not going to be faithful to the lot that God has given to me. I'm going to try to do better than what God wants for me. I'm going to be unfaithful and I'm going to go to Pharaoh. And the vine is destroyed. What's left? What hope is left now that the vine is destroyed? They've been disloyal to to Nebuchadnezzar. And more than that, they've been disloyal to God. But if you'll turn with me to Ezekiel 17, I'll read the end of the story. Because the story doesn't end when the vine is destroyed. The story continues. And it segues into the next thought I want to leave you with. Ezekiel 17 and verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, I will take also one of the highest branches of the cedar and set it out. So I'm going to take a branch from the cedar tree. I will crop off the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one. So he's going to take this cedar tree and he's going to take just a little, little, tiny, tender twig. What is he going to do with that? And we'll plant it on a high and prominent mountain. And I got this this bottle here so I could try and pretend I was planting it. Okay? So he's going to take this cedar twig and plant it on a high and prominent mountain. 
On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, and it will bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar. Under it will dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches they will dwell, and all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree, brought down the high tree and exalted the low tree, dried up the green tree and made the dry tree to flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. Doesn't that sound like a little bit, little bit like what Jesus said? The first will be last and the last will be first. But who was this little tender twig that would become the greatest of all the trees? Who do you suppose this was talking about? Someone who would come after Israel had lost all of their opportunities and would come to Israel and would become a great and spreading mighty cedar tree to which not only those of Israel but it says birds from all over the world would come and lodge in its branches. I want to submit to you this is none other than Jesus Christ. It says in Isaiah chapter 53, For he shall grow up before him, what? As a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Just a tender little twig. There's nothing on the outward appearance, no reason why we should think that Jesus was any more than any other man. Except, except for his teaching. Fast forward with me to the time of Jesus. Everything has been fulfilled, just as the prophets predicted. And one now whom all history has looked forward to is now walking on the earth. It was the last night that Jesus would spend with his disciples. They just feed, finished eating supper in that upper room. And they made their way to a special garden spot where Jesus had gone with his disciples often to pray. Right there at the foot of the Mount of Olives. As they were walking, it was dark. But not too dark because the moon had risen. And as they're walking down out of Jerusalem and toward the Mount of Olives. They're passing by a vineyard. And there in this vineyard, Jesus sees a vine. Its leaves are silvery, almost white in the moonlight. And he steps aside and he takes this vine. He lifts it up. And he says to his disciples, I am the vine. I am the true vine. And turn with me there to John chapter 15, and we'll read his words there for a few moments. I am the true vine, Jesus says. You know, he, he could have said, and rightfully so, I am the true, mighty, great cedar of Lebanon. It would have made sense if he had said, I am the greatest of all the cedar trees. But no, Jesus doesn't boast about himself, even though he could have boasted. He doesn't boast about himself. 
He doesn't say, I'm a mighty cedar tree. He says, I'm a vine. And what do we know about vines? Can the vine stand up on its own? Not very well. It falls down. What did Jesus say about himself? I do the things, the will of what? Him who sent me. Jesus didn't boast about himself. He came to do the will of the one who sent him. Like a vine climbs up the trellis. He is supported, as it were, by his father. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. When his disciples heard these words, it probably shocked them a little bit. Because they knew about these these verses that I shared with you, how Israel was like a vine. And if you were connected to Israel, that was your hope. That was your salvation. That was who you were. You were an Israelite because you were part of that vine of Israel. But now Jesus is talking about himself. I am the vine. I am the truth. No longer is salvation through your connection to Israel. Salvation even more than Israel. Because Jesus, God was working through Israel. Jesus worked through Israel in the Old Testament. But no longer is salvation about your connection with Israel. It's about your connection with me, Jesus says. Being connected to me. I am the only way, Jesus says. I am the only way that you can have spiritual life. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. God had planted Jesus as a perfect vine. But the leaders of Israel would not accept him. They tried to destroy the vine. They, they just a few hours later, would, would come, take Jesus, try him in a mock trial, and crucify him. But to use the symbol of a vine again, it is as it were, it is as though they took the vine uprooted it and threw it over the wall of the vineyard. But there on the other side of the wall, if you picture this in your mind, the vine dresser comes and plants that vine again, that vine who is Jesus Christ. Three days after he died, he rose from the grave and he ascended to heaven. And now Jesus no longer walks in this world physically. He is, as it were, planted on the other side of the wall. He's not physically present with us. But just as a vine climbs up the wall and its branches hang over, who are the branches? Who are us? I'm the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. So we are the branches of the vine. Just as the branches of a vine hang over the wall. In the same way, you and I, by being connected to Christ in heaven, can be a little picture of Jesus to this world. I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. We find that analogy, by the way, of the wall, the vine, the boughs going over the wall. We find that in the blessing of Joseph. When Jacob was blessing all of his children, in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 22, uh, Jacob says of Joseph, now Joseph was another symbol of Jesus, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. 
Now, what is important? What do we learn about a vine and its branches? If you take a look at this, and I, I especially chose this vine because it does have several, several branches here. If you look at that, even if I pull pretty hard, it's stuck together. You see how strongly that's stuck together on that? You see how even if I, well, it does, it does eventually pull up, pull apart if I pull it hard enough. But uh, here's a, here's a stronger one. Even if I pull it, it doesn't, it doesn't come apart. Because they're, they're the same plant. They're pressed together, they're grown together, that's how it grew. And one of the things that a vine dresser will do often, the vine dresser will find a vine that's got a strong root, and they will take another vine that has a very tasty fruit, and they will, they will take a little cutting, a little bud from this, and they will graft it together. And in order to do that and to do it properly, they can't just like attach it together with a twisty or something, you know. They have to actually make a little incision in the, in the root stock. And then they take that bud very carefully and place it in there so that the, the uh, little capillaries of the, of the shoot go down inside the vine. And they, they wrap it together and take very careful care of it until those two grow together. And eventually, after some time, as those grow together, if the graft takes, it will grow into one solid plant where you can hardly tell the difference where one plant stops and the other starts. And I believe, my friends, that this is a picture of what Jesus wants you and me to be. Because just like this vine that the eagle planted there, you and I can't live of ourselves. We have to take nourishment from somewhere. We have to take strength from somewhere. If the branch, Jesus says, is not connected to the vine, it withers up and dies. But if it's connected to the vine, it will bear much fruit. And I think this is the last point that I want to make. A lot of times we as Christians talk a lot about how we ought to live. We talk about the kind of fruit our lives ought to bear. A Christian ought to do certain things. A Christian ought to think certain ways. Right? There's a lot in the Bible about that. But a lot of times we start focusing on the fruit. When instead... We need to put a little more focus on the root, on the vine into which, of which we are merely branches. Because as we look into our lives and we realize that the fruit of our lives is not what it ought to be, not what we wish it were. And a lot of times we get to the point where we say, you know what? I'm just going to try a little bit harder. I'm just going to grit my teeth and I'm going to be a better Christian. I'm going to determine to do better than I've done. There's something to that maybe. But if you're like me, it only goes the wrong direction. 
If we look in our lives and we find that the fruit of our lives is not what it ought to be, what does Jesus say? He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, neither can you except you abide in me. He also goes on to say, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, what? He prunes it. You know, when the vine is growing in the vineyard, the vine dresser comes, and oftentimes he finds a vine that's lush and beautiful and growing lots and lots of leaves, but very little fruit. It's a healthy branch. It's connected to the vine. But the thing that it's growing is greenery. And the vine dresser does not want greenery. He's after grapes. And so sometimes in our Christian lives, even when we're connected to Christ, Christ allows things to come into our lives that will prune back the foliage. I don't like to be cut on. I really don't. I don't like trials. But Jesus wants our lives to bear fruit. And sometimes he allows, permits, maybe even sends the trials so that in the end, when he comes, he will find not dead branches, not lots of green leaves, but fruit. So the thought I want to leave you with is this. You are a branch of a vine. Who will you abide in? Who will be the source of your strength and energy? Your inmost motives, who drives that? Will you be like the vine who saw another eagle and said, Ah, I want to follow this other eagle. Or will you be like the vine that Jesus described who was so tightly connected to the branch that it bore much fruit? Let us pray. Loving Father in heaven, help us, Lord, to abide in you. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit so that day by day, no matter what trials come, we may have the life of you flowing through our veins. Lord, help us to realize that the trials that do come are your pruning so that we can bear fruit. Help us, Lord, to bear fruit. But help us not to look at the fruit, but to keep our focus on you, the true vine. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.